we're back. We're gathered by a couple couple of gentlemen. They uh, they cast a large shadow in the world of hounds in our area, and uh, we can go around the table. I'll introduce my dad. He's back with us, Jim Mershot. And the next is, go ahead, Mr. Hebner. Oh, Dick Hebner. You don't know my name? I know your name, but okay. you, you can say your name. That way I don't feel like Morgan says I talk too much, so this is a way for you to say something. All right. Yeah, Dick Hebner. And then next we have Mr. Schrock. I'm Calvin Schrock. So these guys, they have kind of, they're the older generation. Sorry, guys, you're the older generation in the hounds group around. And it's kind of neat because you have a lot more history and a lot more experience at it than a lot of people ever could even imagine doing it. A lot of nights spent in the woods without all the technology we have that I don't even know how they hunt it. I was just young listening to everything back then, riding in the truck. Dick, how long have you been handling hounds? Were you Was it generational or did you get into it yourself? My dad was... Um well, he was an old bear hunter from years ago, and uh, then he get into fox hunting. And whenever I was born, he had a he had a coon hound. And when I was five or six years old, he would take me coon hunting and spend a lot of long nights doing that. And uh, got my first two hound pups when I was fourteen years old. I'll be seventy my next birthday, so it's been a few years ago. That was my next question. Quite a, quite a while you've been quite a while listening to dogs work. What about you, Calvin? Since I've been old enough to go along coon hunting, I've we've run hounds all my life. Seven, eight years old from then till now, and I'm still doing it. We were working with the Schrock boys, uh, Andrew's sons, and the one Jones boy was there, and we kind of got talking about how the bear hounds come back to this part of the country. And the name L.E. Jones and Ernest Schrock come out we started hunting and and the joneses were a big part of it when i was a kid they'd come over there and there was all kinds of drama when they come around we would be talking about dogs and the joneses we we used to think you had to have a plot dog to to run a bear if we were around them and that was kind of the dominant breed back then that most of the bear hunters used what year Um, are we talking Wow, that would have been, if I was 10 years old, that was 19, probably in the 60s, early 70s. Yeah. Dwayne, I think it was Dwayne Jones said that L.E. had heard about a dog in Arizona for sale, real cold-nosed, and they sent money and had her shipped on rail car or something back to this part of the country. Yeah, I remember those dogs. I actually hunted with them. I, they got them from Lee Brothers. The one was called Lead and the other one was Ann. Little Ann, yeah. 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 They were good dogs. I and hunted they, with them. They dogs. crossed those dogs and they had some pretty good English dogs. Yes, they did. So those dogs come from the yeah, Lee Brothers. they did. And then there's another brother to them, I think it called Gerald, but those, those were good dogs. Okay, so let's go back a little bit because at this table there's probably what over a hundred years of hound hunting experience I would Boy. say more how many years 50 here well 56 okay 56 of big game hunting or just hound hunting hound hunting oh I had a I had an old hunting dog when I was a kid four or five years old so I'm 50 I just turned 57 okay so that's over a hundred how many I'm I'm 66 and since I was probably seven, eight years old. Okay, so we're we're close to almost <clears throat> 200 years of hound hunting experience if you add Josh into this. So 
we kind of want to get a grasp on what all has changed in that short amount of time <laughs> all i've ever seen is the garmin alphas where i can track all the dogs so whenever you first started was there any technology involved no you hoped you had good shoes <laughs> <laughs> which none of us ever did was waterproofing an option it was definitely an option water if, waterproofing was a stroman bread sack between your socks <laughs> explain how the technology or you loaded dogs up and then we'll kind of go into over the generations of just how advanced was it a lot of rig hunting no back then not then nobody ever heard of that no um i was introduced to rig hunting in uh i think it was 87 in maine okay um all the guys had rigs then and i come home started building rig boxes so got them started I don't mean to interrupt, but it, so everybody listening, rigging is the dogs on top of the truck, whether some guys put them on the hood, the back, he's probably going to go on how some of them are made, but as the anim, the dog smells a bear, they bark, and then you turn dogs off the truck and start the chases. That's pretty... Yes, yes. Uh, but like I said, at that time, I don't know if baiting was illegal in Maine, but everybody rigged. And nobody down here rigged. You never heard tell of it. So we kind of brought that back down here. And now it's kind of strange because we all rig now and Maine don't. They bait. Nobody rigs up there anymore. Swapped. Yeah. Yeah. So kind of back what you started with. When I started, there was an old guy that owned a little country store in Markleysburg. His name was Jimmy Martin. And I guess I was six or eight years old. He would come down and get me just at dark. And we had a carbide light. And if you was real lucky, you'd have a three cell or four cell light. And we'd go coon hunting and hopefully kill our limited coons. Of course, coons was bringing money at that time. So there was a lot of coon hunters. But if you did lose your dog, you would either let your jacket or your dog box wherever you started to hunt at. And that's where you would come back to look for your dog for because you would have no clue where the dog would ever end up at that point. And there's times that you never found your dog. Your dog never came back. You never saw him again. You know, I've had that happen multiple times. Was it mostly walk hunting or did you drive to a spot or how did that go? Because now we cover a lot of roads. Well, uh, when I first started, we had a coon dog and where we lived, we we lived in between two hollows that uh, went up off the main road. So dad would turn the dog loose at the house and he would take off. So we would walk to one hollow and listen up it. Didn't hear the dog. We went over and listened up the other hollow, and usually he was treated up one of those hollows by the time. Now, he may be a mile in there, yeah. and if it was getting late and you didn't want to walk to it, uh, all Dad had to do was shoot his twenty-two, and that dog would come. But when he came, you better catch him because he'd just make a circle around you right back to the tree. <laughs> <laughs> so walk up, and that's a, that's crazy to comprehend how we walk hunt with our dogs now and you can tone them and it's like having a leash on them yeah yeah per se like a long distance leech trap it was like training dogs is so far advanced now back then it was head them off at the pass when they start running <laughs> junk <Yeah. laughs> you yeah. would you would have one dog you would half trust and you let that one loose we didn't have the probably the best rig dogs you would just lead them on a leash and when they you learn to be a good tracker, that's for sure. Yeah. So, you know, then you would just turn the dogs loose and you'd just try to stay in the hearing of them. 
it kept you in good shape but man it was like dick said sometimes you never found all your dogs listening from canyon to canyon to try to find them pretty much just listening mm-hmm. for the dogs so the next thing was what i bought a, a box of trx 10 and i had two collars and when i had that i thought i'd i'd hit the lottery i i was really a bear hunter at that point how many and dogs did you have i had four dogs and two collars there you go <laughs> so it'd be the telemetry same systems that they were using like on the wildlife like national geographic and things like that the telemetry right. callers right right um borrowed a set from tom hook first set ever used and uh was out tracking one night and left the box set on the hood of the truck and got back in the truck to warm up and got ready to move and just drove off and it fell off and I ran over it <laughs> <laughs> didn't care for it or what uh, just dumb <laughs> just dumb so go into how you use those because all these new hound guys coming up they're pretty spoiled with the technology now i think we can let calvin because the first part of that he kind of sounded to me like he's a professional with the yeah he box. was the expert well i don't know about the expert but man i put hours I'd, I'd hate to guess how many hours i put on tracking dogs with that telemetry no they they tremendously improved your chances of catching a bear i think we caught a lot more bear after we started using that telemetry you could you could eventually find them right you know you know which way to go look and uh, you just hunted rougher places and went a lot of places you didn't go before i'm going to give some credit to being around growing up around the telemetry system and that because you just didn't point it in a direction that told you how far the dogs were at you would have to do a compass bearing figure out the direction that the dogs were get your map everybody had a gazetter or topographical maps printed off and things like that and you'd orientate them get a direction and then you would have to learn by running that system the beeps how far whether you thought hundreds of yards or miles away it could be and then you would circle an area on that map and just try to get into that area as close as possible so it taught you to do a lot of map and compass you had to be really careful uh if you were in a hollow trying to track you would get a bounce yep and you had no idea which direction to go and that would be it was bouncing from one yeah. mountain over to the other yes. and Real they're on the same side as you but you think they're across from you yes there's ledges i think it was worse yes blackwater canyon was horrible <laughs> rocky country affected yeah. it more you think i think so i think it bounced off of it it seemed to me like it did but. i think what you're referring to josh is in maine when you were young and up there around tom hook and the other places when you go to country that you've never hunted in before you would really need the map and compass because you'd get a a compass bearing from one place you'd go to a compass uh, another high point you'd shoot another line and you'd get another compass bearing and you'd try to where those two lines would intersect that's where you would try to go to find your dogs yeah it just give me a lot more knowledge hands-on with i mean you can go and learn map and compass but as far as using it on a daily thing i mean we were running dogs a good bit so you're constantly running the compass doing that i just think it helped a lot what do you enjoy hunting about hunting now that you wish you had back then the tracking equipment's the main thing exactly i mean it's it just made it so much easier um you know, we talked about coon hunting years ago, and I've had much longer coon hunts than some of our bear hunts are now. You know, there's times when you'll go out and turn loose, and the dogs won't go out of hearing, and they'll tree the bear. And if they do go out of hearing, you know, they go across the ridge, and they tree, and you know where they're at, and you get around to them, and it's just so much easier now. Plus, the, these collars have built-in shockers 
um, with a little bit of work, there's a tone button on there, and you can teach those dogs. You you don't have to shock them much. You get them used to that. All you got to do is hit the tone button, and they just handle so much better. I had a dog or two when I was first starting. Oh, racket. Mm. Um, he would have been a phenomenal bear dog if I'd had the tracking equipment we got now. What I like about the new system is if you're willing to walk, your dog always gets to spend his night in the box, his own box. Yeah. Correct, yeah. That's the thing that I see is the best because back in the day, you know, we would wait and we'd beep, and you just didn't take off walking because you didn't know whether it was 500 yards, you know, to the top of the ridge or is it to, to the next ridge. And it's just changed things. It's nice for your dog to be rested up and hunt the next day because he's warm, dry, and a good meal in his own box. Well, how well do I know that? Because I used that older tracking equipment. That shortened up the hunt tremendously. Yep. Yep. You know where the dog is, you go pick him up, you're back home. Yep. Dogs are not getting hit on the roads because we know they're going towards the road. Uh, yeah, not near as many dogs get, or get in trouble. Yes. Right. That's a huge right. thing, get in trouble. A trap. Uh, yeah. a trap i mean if your dog stops for any length of time they've got a bark indicator on them if if it's working correctly i mean if the dog's barking he's probably either got a bear caught treed or if he's not barking he's in trouble of some sort and he needs you to go help yeah that and picking a dog up that gets to a landowner comes into a house you can go right there zoom right in and get him before he gets in any trouble a couple of years ago i had a young <clears throat> dog uh, they was chasing a bear and he fell down in some rocks um and he never moved. He was showing treat up there, which I knew he wasn't. He just he wasn't even a year old yet. So I finally walked up to where he was at, and he was down in the hole, couldn't get out. You know, so if years ago that dog probably stayed there and died. Correct. Yeah. And there's a lot of misleading information that um, you know this this type of hunting is abuse of animals, whether it be the game you're chasing or um, the hounds that you own. I think it's nice to open people's eyes to how this new technology is changing the game in a lot of ways for those misconceptions of people hearing older stories of dogs starving in holes. Or When you start traveling from different state to different state, the laws are different. You don't always have the right to go and gather your dog up on private land um and that tone button is a great way to get your dogs to come back off of there without you trespassing um i know maine they've talked about that they're gonna make the dog the same as the hunter as they, a trespass they, they did that uh this past year yeah uh if your dog goes on the posted ground you get a warning the first time and the second time you're in violation of trespassing so I just spent a weekend with Bobby Parker, and he's with the Maine Guides Association, and he has quizzed the powers to be on how many citations was wrote on that, and it was absolutely zero to bear hunters. And he was pretty tickled about that. He was a little bit upset that uh, they excluded types of dogs. Why would they do just coyote, bear, and bobcat? You know, why did they not put coon dogs why they don't put rabbit dogs and bird dogs so i think big game hunters in general are getting picked on by the antis more than the other style of hunters yeah they hear more about it you guys this sport has been under constant scrutiny since you started at it it's got to be a love for it i mean to stay into the game that long with so much controversy constantly about it back then you could go about anywhere didn't run into much for problems but the more you have people from urban areas coming out here and the rural and 
they don't have a clue about dog hunting. And if they meet one bad dog hunter that has a bad attitude, it's, it's not good for dog hunting. Anybody that does it for any length of time has always tried to bring the person that doesn't know anything about it up to speed and has been a proactive for hound hunting because that's the only way we could do it for this long and keep our sanity. How many new people have come and go in this and just don't really, you guys probably seen it a whole lifetime of it, guys get into it and just into it hot and heavy and then go away from it and never touch your, it ever again. Your dad is one of the few people that I haven't broke. You know, what's that old saying? If you're going to be dumb, you got to be tough. Thank you. So there you go. Yeah, the, some of the younger generation I don't think shows a proper respect for the sport and for you know other people's rights. And it, there are a lot of young people getting into this today. I think it gains a little traction because of the controversial subject. I think that's very important that people see that dog hunters aren't just some crazy loony kind of people that don't care about other people yeah they might not respect what we're doing but if we show respect you're still way further in the long run i agree 100 percent. dad and i were comp- we were just talking the whole time that's a dying sport and then we go lion hunting and the first pickup we saw at three o'clock in the morning everybody's grumbling a little other out finding track they'll probably hit us to this road no one's wanting to see other houndsmen out there everybody cleaned up and it's big families hunting together usually i mean if you ask someone to come they bring a bunch of trashy dogs no one wants to run crap eaters with good dogs and you're trying to finish young pups that you're doing it we've talked about it in a few podcasts and it's just it's very hard sport to get into unless you're almost born into it it's pretty if you don't have somebody to to train you how to train dogs you're going to be a long time getting anywhere a long time that's a fact that's a fact. I was lucky enough when I first started, I uh, met a guy over around Harmon where my wife's from named Carl Huffman, and Carl taught me a lot of stuff. And at that time, there was a bunch of guys from Virginia coming out there and hunting, and those guys were bear hunters. Norman had a business card printed up, Track Down Kennels or something like that was the name of his his kennel. And he had on the card that had, had uh, sheep killing bear specialty years ago all these farmers had sheep and they ranged them up in the mountains and uh bear getting the sheep the guy would go out and hunt them they'd kill them well the joneses that you talked about yeah. they had a hard time getting their hay made because they were out running bear all the time <laughs> that's really where i got started sheep killers i remember i'd get chills going up and down my back just thinking about it the first bear i ever yeah. saw up a tree was a sheep killing bear yeah so the community down there was all for you killing bears and running bears with hounds oh, because yeah. it was helping their, yeah, the sheep was. and it was helping them. Whereas today, it's not happening like that anymore. Were they depredation? Like, was the game commission and the state involved or was it just yeah. the families? It wasn't until the early 70s that the, the bear was even designated as a sport animal. So how were the seasons structured? Was there any seasons back then kind of like there is or is a free-for-all? Or if you had dogs, you just went hunting? The first season I can remember, uh, the bear season, they had a week in early November, and then they had two weeks in December. So when I got married 50 years ago, there was no bear season on December the 30th. Well, guess what? Now there is. And that's caused some problems. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I guarantee it. How many fights have you had over dogs? Well, I didn't have any this year because (laughs) this was our 50th anniversary, and and I was nice. I stayed home. I was hoping she'd tell me to go the next day, but she wouldn't do it, so I stayed home. 
That was good. A life of dog hunting. So we're talking a lot about hunting and treeing bears, but none of that can happen without the hounds. So with that many years of experience, there's just as many hounds that you guys have went through. In a houndsman's lifetime, how many great dogs can he have? <laughs> you could probably count them on one hand. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I probably agree with that. I think the dogs in general are a higher quality now than when we first started hunting we've evolved as long uh, with the equipment also made made our dogs better i mean back in the day you never left but one dog off a lead strap to try to find a bear and now you put them all free cast them and you control them by the tone button and i think we've give the dogs an opportunity to be better also and i think some of them step up the bat and some of them don't and these boys are right if you get a handful in a in a hunter's lifetime of really good ones you've hunted a lot you mm-hmm. wore out a lot yeah. of boots yeah can you attribute the hounds that you have today to you breeding them uh yes. over time yes dick always says there's more thought process going into breeding dogs than there are marriages <laughs> <laughs> go through the thought process on that years ago i had a dog uh, called racket he was a pretty good dog not great he was a pretty good dog he was a tremendous breeder and we are still today hunting his descendants his pups if you want to start hunting them when they were five months old they'd go i never seen anything like it back when we first started if you had a dog ran a bear you was happy we've seen what can happen so we've been more selective what are some of the qualities that you guys look for in a hound let me tell you what i, I asked guy norman michael uh, an old bear hunter from over mount soul in virginia i asked him that same thing one time he said they have to run to catch if they're just out there lopping along behind the bear you never go tree a bear and tree dogs they have to <laughs> run to catch but we are lacking in our tree dogs for lion hunting a little bit different species of animals rely on different traits of dogs mm-hmm. You you believe a dog's a dog's a dog. You can go catch whatever game in any part of the country. Or do you think it comes dog-specific? They talk about dry ground hounds and how they have to have superbly cold nose. Do you believe you could take one of your dogs and go to that country and take a mule and go run a line the same as them? One thing that would be a big thing if I was looking at dogs was is a dog that can take a cold track and get it in there a long ways and get it jumped and get it treed. When when they make a lose in a bad spot, cold or something, there's always that one or two dogs finds it. Yep. Seems like they're always the ones that knows what's going on. It's kind of ironic, but the dogs that treat a lot of bears by themselves for us very seldom got cut up. They were smart enough to know what to do and they, they put them in a tree. I, I don't always know what they did, but they treat a lot of bears. By seeing a lot of bears, they probably know what's treeing that certain yeah. type of bear. They judge him when he gets yeah. in there, whether yeah. he's mean, wants to fight. Yeah. That's a big thing. That's a big controversial thing with running big game animals is the dogs getting cut up from it. Same as a football player risking concussions or a rodeo athlete getting busted up. What is one of those hounds that you had that you just, you know, can't be duplicated? Sister Lucy was probably my two favorite dogs to hunt. They just caught a lot of game. I've been doing this for over 50 years, and I've got the best dog right now I've ever owned. It's hard to compare that dog to some dogs I've had in the past, but he makes the chases a lot shorter. I think he's the best dog I've ever owned. Did he come from your own breeding? Yes. I owned his daddy, a fellow friend of mine, bred a female to him. And, and they come from Lucy. Their uh, daddy was out of Lucy. I liked Boone growing up. Boone was like always the man. Red Death. Red Death. Honestly, when I was growing up, he was like in his prime, I guess. So he was always, seemed like his name was always being thrown out there. And that was Lucy's dad. 
Back to racket. Yep. So you guys trade dogs and give each other dogs and pups. How long of a span has it taken you to get to what you have now? Racket was born in 81 or 82, so almost 40 years. We have Lucy pups. It seems like every one of that we have bred, they are starting to hunt at like six months old. Yeah. Know what they're doing. Yeah. And Josh said that I got spoiled with that because it used to not always be like that they will spoil you that that kind yeah they will spoil you the dog that i've got now uh, hank that i said was probably the best dog i've ever owned a lot of people they're very happy if they've got a dog that's running a little bit by the time they're seven months old when hank was seven months old he was helping the tree bear he wasn't just running he was actually helping to tree the bear a lot of the dogs we've had turned out really well the same way six seven months old they were they were running going good do you put your breeding around certain times of the year it's hard to control that you got to breed yeah. the female as it comes yeah. in heat but we've had really good luck with pups born in february you can get them going that fall and i'm a firm believer that if you don't hunt a, a dog when it's young and get that dog in pretty good shape i don't think that dog's ever going to be able to run just right i don't think they're going to have the stamina to do it i think they're the mm-hmm. same as people if you don't realize what hard work is pretty young it's like shock and all if they throw you into it <laughs> yes. when you get older mr havener what, what kind of hounds do you like in running it's been english dogs english coonhound breed most of the time is that what your dad was running also those no he had black and tans english wasn't real popular back then matter of fact when dad started hunting they weren't even a recognized breed that didn't come through till like in the 40s yeah how tough it might be to get a hold of dogs back then you couldn't just go getting them from montana arizona they shipping them across the country it didn't move hounds that way they'd just pick up something from the neighbor and try to train it up to make a hound have any of you tried putting any type of wild breeding into your program, just off the wall, maybe not so much hound stuff? Years ago, I considered uh, breeding some pit bull into the hounds. And a good friend of mine, he begged me not to do it. And, you know, I spent enough on vet bills. I don't know why you want one to fight a bear any harder. <laughs> you know? I guess I did, uh, Josh, you grew up with a German short hair that this dog was so smart. When the boys was little, they'd get on the golf cart, and the dog made Seth ride in the back while he rode in the passenger seat while Josh drove. But when the backup alarm would go on, he would look over his shoulder to see what they were going to back into. So I bred that German short hair to a plot. I kept two of them. Tipper, she was outstanding. And the other one was Jake, and he was above average. It was something crazy I tried, but, I mean, it was still a hound. A German short hair is a hound. I mean, it's just with a short tail and a lot of go. So how many bears... Do you think you guys have caught? I think when you first start bear hunting, you gauge everything by numbers. As you get older, it's the hunt, the friendship, the friends. Exactly. But giving credibility to great dogs, if they catch 10 bears, that's good, huh? Everybody's staring at me with blank (laughs) faces. The great dogs they're talking about are catching, probably have seen 50 bear in their lifetime, probably more than 100 bear. Easy. You know, we do a lot of training, so they see a lot of bear that's not killed. Yeah. A lot more than what is killed. Finished uh, chases, I should say. Yeah, I'd say most any of these good dogs have had probably 100-plus bear killed to them. So that's numbers for young guys. If you're wanting what it takes to make tremendous dogs, is it takes a pile of hunting. And that's what makes it very difficult for people to get yeah. into this. You're the dedication that it takes yeah. to become a houndsman. Your hobby is a very expensive hobby yeah. that consumes a lot of your life. Mm-hmm. I think it's a special person that that runs big game hounds because you're not a person that gives up easy. You're not a person that will take no for an answer. I think your dogs reflect a lot on 
the same mentality that you have. Just because it's raining today, we're not going to not go hunting. We're going to go get dogs soaking wet. I mean, it's just, yeah. you go hunting. Yeah. Tom Hook, one day we were out rigging, and uh, after several hours, he said, we well, may as well go home. He said, we're just washing dogs. <laughs> <laughs> Tom Hook's a name that gets thrown around here a little bit. If you had Tom here doing this podcast, it would be a winner, I'm telling you. That man had more stories. Yes, he was. Yeah, I, I can hardly, I remember him once everybody starts telling him, but I was so young then. He dealt in exotic animals and all kinds of crazy stuff, didn't he? Oh, my goodness. If anybody, like uh, a zoo, wanted to get rid of animals, Tom would take them. Well, he had two uh, Siberian tigers there at one time. He had a big cage behind his house. Well, they got to fight. He had them in separate cages, but they got kind of fighting through the wire. And they were tearing that cage up. You know, these big animals. <laughs> so Tom goes in the house and gets the gun, goes out and shoots them both. You talk about a bloodbath. He said he's probably the only man in the world who killed a brace of Siberian tigers that year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guarantee. Now, Tom has passed away. He's a deceased man, so yeah. no one can get him in trouble for anything but so, some wild stories. Wild. How about the grizzly bear story from the Portland Zoo? Oh, my. I can't remember the whole story, but that thing was crazy. Oh, that's got to be good. <laughs> a a grizzly bear in a zoo? One? No, I never heard that. One. I don't think I. Eat well, his them. his partner crime, Mark Ryan, was involved in this too, and the bear had Mark down, and Mark was screaming, said he's got me by the neck, and Tom said, "Can't be, you have no neck." <laughs> this is during while the bear had a hold of him. Tom's making jokes. Uh, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Mark's a bit like a fire plug, you know, short and stout. Yeah, so he lays claim to fame that he's the only guy that's guided a grizzly bear hunt in Maine also with dogs. <laughs> <laughs> My goodness. One time we had hunters and Tom Hook had uh, loaded dogs up and he took off from his house over towards New Portland. He's just the happiest go lucky guy you'd ever run into. So he got to New Portland and he realized that he didn't put his tailgate up or shut the dog box door and he had no dogs when he got there we're selling this good round so <laughs> so, going, this is great so tom he's just the happiest guy in the world you could never make him mad he just never was mad so the next day he loaded dogs up went back over there and the game wardens caught him with six or seven dogs so of course, Tom, he cracked a joke. He said, well, I'm just making up for yesterday because I didn't have any when I got here to hunt. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Interesting character. What is one of the craziest things that you've done to save a hound? Ah, we were hunting on the Dolly Sods area, <laughs> Stone Coal area, and the dogs put a bear in the hole. Well, <laughs> one dog went in with the bear and uh good good dog it was mike davis's dog old buster anyway we got there and directly this bear starts coming out well i grab a pistol off a guy standing there and and i didn't let the bear come out far enough and i shoot it well now we got a wounded bear and he goes back in the hole with the dog so mike tells me he said if you can't get old buster out of there so just shoot him i don't want that bear to eat him up I thought, i'm not shooting the dog <laughs> So anyway, we sent uh, Chad, sent him off the mountain to get some lights and ropes and whatnot, and he came back up. So I started crawling in this hole. The reason that uh, Buster wasn't getting hurt, there was a crevice in there that as it went back, it narrowed down. Well, he was backing into that crevice, and the bear was too big to get into him. So he was kind of safe. But anyway, we, we went in there, couldn't get the bear out. We tied ropes around that thing, and you could not pull it up out of that, that hole. 
So that's one of the probably craziest things I ever did, crawling in the hole with a wounded bear. What about you, Calvin? Probably one of the most memorial hunts. We, we caught this bear, and it had been kind of slow that morning. It caught trail a long ways, and one dog got away from the others, an old dog we had called Hoss. He went down to this big holler and up the other side, and when he climbed out the, all the way up that other hill, and it sounded like a chainsaw over there, and he kept <laughs> going over top. So <laughs> I thought, that wasn't good. So we went around, found the bear, and they had it in a hole again. We pulled some dogs back, and the guy, the bear run out, and the guy shot it, and I was down there uh, getting this, uh, running a stick in his mouth so I wouldn't chew on the dogs, and they started screaming and a holler and I turned around and looked behind me here this big bear the dead kill was 528 here that thing come out of that same hole that bear went in there woke that big bear up <laughs> <laughs> and woke that big bear up and he come out of there and we asked this one guy if we get Barry's gun because uh, they baited up in some cliffs there and we uh, he got in under a ledge there and I asked that guy if he cared if dad used his gun Dad, he was excited as a little kid. I, I told him, now you wait till that bear runs out of there. We're not dragging that thing out of that hole. And he kept saying, can I shoot now? Can I shoot now? <laughs> when that thing popped out of there, now he, it didn't take him long to shoot. <laughs> what right. the, so everybody was probably preoccupied with this other bear that was yeah, you guys they just were. killed. Yeah. And that thing come running out of the hole oh, behind yeah. us. Did you have any clue it was in there? No, and it didn't have a clue. It did not have there. a clue. And it was just your luck mass chaos that bear was done damned up for the winter i would say that'd be my guess and this other bear run in there and he probably wasn't very happy with him <laughs> so is it, have you guys ever been roughed up by any bears <laughs> yeah some <laughs> oh so you have i'm jealous of you now too <laughs> i don't know about that because i got my leg is if you'd have to put up with it why it wouldn't be so nice now i got i got in a couple scrapes of bears really probably the worst one was uh shucks i don't know it was probably 20 years ago i don't know 15 20 years ago so we put some of our dogs out and they didn't go real far they went down there under a big brush pile and had it caught under a brush pile so this guy he dumps his whole truckload and i run down there and the other guys they were still up there and, and that thing come out of that brush pile and that was not good and <laughs> There's dogs all over that thing, and I was grabbing dogs, trying to tie dogs up. And I remember the one, the one time I I grabbed a horse dog and give him a big yank, and the bear and the dog and everything come right across the treetops and yep. stuff. Anyway, they that bear uh, caught one of my buddy's dogs and had him in that big old bear hug, and I had a um, chain leash. And I was beating on him with that chain leash so he'd leave go that of the dog. He snipped at me like once or so, and then he went back to gnawing on the dog. I kept beating on him, and he whirled around and grabbed my leg, tearing on it. It wasn't just bite. He bit, and then he kind of shook his head. Was when I when I fell, I was kicking him with my other foot, but then he let go. And this boy was there videoing it. And I was like, "Oh, this is cool." You know, he had a video. He was there video, and everybody said, "We want to see this video." After it was all over. And here he had the lens on the cover. I could have sold that. <laughs> but anyway, I, I ended up having to walk out of the woods there. We was probably back in at least a mile. <laughs> I think it ended up like 33 stitches or something. Oh, 33 stitches? <laughs> I'm guessing about all bear hunters have got roughed up a little. I have not. 
I guess I'm either quicker than Calvin or else <laughs> uh, more of a coward. I don't know which, but we've been pretty close to them several times. Uh, the mantra I've lived by is if if the bear's nervous, I'm not. If he's not nervous, I am. Some of them, they just want to get away from you. You take a bear's not nervous when he's around you, you better watch him. Now the moose story. This is good. Um, we're up at Maine hunting, and it's illegal to let dogs run a moose in Maine. I'd borrowed a couple dogs off of Buddy that decided they were going to run a moose. Had the moose bait up in a road, had everything tore up, and the guy that I was working with at the time <laughs> yelled at me on the radio. He said, Dick, you need to get over here. So I went over, and they left the road and went up this little hollow. Had the moose bait up again, so I walked up, and I knew how they were. They get pretty stupid when they're in rut, and I was keeping some trees between me and it, and it kind of acted like it wanted to charge, never did. Well, directly the dogs got it out of there, and it went up the hollow a little bit further, bait up again. You're not mad at all at this point, are you? Mad? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Evidently, you don't yeah. know Dick and dogs that's running yeah. off game, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I was a little mad. The second time I went into it, there was nothing but some little white birch saplings, maybe inch and a half, two inches in diameter. And I thought, well, if I can get that one dog caught, maybe the other one will quit. So I was trying to sneak over to get that dog, and here he came. Had his head down, and just before he hit me, I dove to my left, never forget. And that thing, when he went by, I don't know if it was on purpose or just the way he ran, but he kicked out with his right front foot and hit me right beside the head. And that time I wore glasses, knocked my glasses off, I was kicking and screaming, and I don't think I hurt him any, but well, luckily the dogs got him out of there again, or I might have been in trouble. And I crawled around there for five minutes looking for my glasses in the swamp and finally found them. And I don't remember exactly what happened, but I finally got the dog stopped and the dogs and the moose. Everybody was okay but Dick. <laughs> <laughs> so I go back to the camp and I asked uh, Donnie Hellstrom he's hunting with, and I said, Donnie, you ever have a hunter uh, ran over by a moose? Nope. So I started looking around the lodge. I said, where would you like my picture? <laughs> and I had people say, you know, moose is a big animal. You want to see how big a moose is? Lay down on your back and look up at him. <laughs> they are big. Have you done anything just completely crazy to make sure that your dogs or your friend's dogs came out alive? We treated this bear, and it was like six inches of wet snow. I mean, just nasty. You know, it is in Laurel and hanging on. They treat it, and we went in there, and it wasn't up very high, and it jumps out. And I remember I was grabbing dogs to try to keep them from getting eat up. And I grabbed two dogs, and I had one dog in one hand, and, and that dog had the bear right on top of the head. And I haven't seen that very often. Had right between the ears, and it would not let go. And I had a hold of the bear and had me pinned against the rock. And I was yelling at him not to shoot today. <laughs> had a hold of the... The dog had a hold of the bear. Of course, when he let go, he, he did all yeah. kinds of things. <laughs> but when we finally got it, he went back up another tree there, and it was quite the rodeo. My most memorable hunt was probably Canaan Heights. Uh, Dick, you and uh, old Mike was there. You guys had a bear in that laurel thicket going around and around up there. I come in, I was pretty young, and you guys walked me in with the radio, and I turned a couple of my dogs, and then... The push the bear out and we got it killed and then i got the starlight of my moment i got to pack one dog across the black water and be a hero it was pretty neat that was the most memorable hunt i'll close with this uh, last year dick and i we went on a little walk hunt i was the dick had not been in there and i was i did the hunt before so he was following me well i couldn't walk in front of him <laughs> i couldn't do it i said i followed you way too many times i said i'll just tell you where to go 
<laughs> I was like, I'll just walk behind you. <laughs> and so find you someone that you respect like that, young guys out there, and follow them through the woods. Any closing statements, anything you want to get out to the people to show what a houndsman is? Well, just respect the sport. You know, exactly. uh, there's so many exactly. people that don't do that. Maybe we've failed somewhat in trying to bring these younger hunters up, trying to teach them right, but a lot of them you can't teach. they got to learn it on their own. So, so. Well, I just want to thank Calvin for hosting us here tonight. This, thank you very much. Very welcome. Yeah, for sure. I have to get you out to Montana. I've listened to quite a bit of stories of how much you've taught Jim and Josh about bear hunting with hounds, so it would be quite interesting to get you out there and see the difference between between the two. Wow. Yeah, I've been on the taking you round was on the main square.